Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, a podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. On this episode, I'm joined as always by Greg. Hello. And today we are going to be reviewing the Dragon Flagon, aka Tavern Brawl, the board game. It's pretty much like that. But first, let's talk about what else we've been playing lately. Right, and so this was really exciting. We finally got the group together and played another game of Pandemic Legacy. So, I mean, that's something we've been aching to do for, I think, it's been like a couple months since we got people to the table for that. I think it's been since August, so it's been, I think, about at least a month or a month and a half. It's been a good while. So that was great. We got to play through uh, September. We won on our first try. Yes. Got very lucky. We did. We got really well. I mean, you know, we got really lucky in some ways, but part of it was preparation. We got the military bases down in the right place, so we start with the free objective, and got pretty lucky with some of our early searches for yeah um, for certain for people. But certain things that we will not go into because it's spoilers territory. Right, right. But uh, suffice to say, it was about fifty-fifty luck, fifty-fifty careful preparation. Yes, and it's going to be very interesting going forward. Because I don't know how good of a spot we're in total. Yeah, it's pretty rough right now. We've got about 75% of the board turned. Yeah. And so that's a little dicey. But, you know, it's the last three months. There's only so much left in the deck. Yeah. I'm thinking that we're going to get to the point relatively soon where Coda becomes not curable necessarily, but manageable. Yeah. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Don't want to, obviously spoil too much for those out there who are still thinking about playing it but and if you are pick it up oh absolutely (laughs) yes do do that yes so that's one of the things that we've been playing another one that we actually got to play yesterday was scythe yes scythe was really exciting i've been hearing about this game since it's come out and even you know a couple months before then because you know Mm -hmm. the art book was so cool and obviously you kickstarted it so i've just been hearing all these great things but i didn't get a chance to play until just the other day and it was well worth the hype, I think. This is one of those games that I think it was extremely hyped up, but at the same time, the gameplay backs up the hype. The way that it plays, the mechanics, they really make sense. They really feel good. They feel very balanced, the game itself. I really enjoyed it. So for those of you who don't really know much about Sight, the way that the game works for the most part is that you're trying to get money throughout the entire game. But you can get that through controlling territories, through completing objectives, and also through having resources at the end of the game. So the end game is to, to convert those things into money and have that. But the way that you do it is you start building your mechs to get the objectives to also get to keep people away from other things to hold certain parts. And then you can also build your buildings which give you different bonuses on certain actions. And you get uh, all different kinds of ways to move along the board, trying to get the jump on your opponents and possibly keep them from uh, getting certain objectives while getting certain objectives yourself. It's a really great mix between the fighting kind of like mech game that you would expect it to be. It's not really that much in there. It's got a very big Euro game mix in there. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, Like, you know, all the talk that I had been hearing about it, I just kind of assumed, you know, okay, it's like World War I, World War II, interwar type stuff with mechs. Okay, so I'm thinking Risk with steampunk, dieselpunk, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. extra stuff. And what I found was actually a very 
solid economic management game yeah. that also had combat as another element that you had to be sure to focus on and balance with the rest of your mm-hmm. gameplay. So I thought it was a really rich blend yeah. of some of that. And it was very focused, I felt. Mm-hmm. You know, again, having heard about it before I played it, I was really surprised when I finally saw the board, and it was relatively small, especially for a game that can support up to five factions with planned two more in an expansion. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of territory, so it's really more about focusing on what works and creating that engine, You know, as always with these sort of economic games. So that was really exciting and really uh, entertaining to play. Agreed. I've enjoyed every playthrough that I've gotten through Scythe so far. Right. But so in addition to that, the other night, we were able to play Small Star Empires. Yep. Kind of a quick in-between games Mm -hmm. type of game. This time we played it with three players instead of two. Pretty much the same, although I did definitely feel a little bit more squeezed because you're dancing around two other people blocking off your roots Mm -hmm. rather than one. You have to get to the places where you think you're going to want to stake a claim early because really quickly those are going to be cut off. So it kind of changed the balance of it, but really still the same fundamental, quick play, satisfying type of game. Yeah, and one of the things that I will point out is that the map does not get bigger depending on how many players you have. That's right. It is always the same size, so two players are vying for the same amount of territory as four players. I'm very curious to see how it plays with four players because I know that I did a bubble strategy this time where I pretty much made it so that none of the others could actually get into my territory. And I ended up losing by one point, but I think it's still a pretty valid strategy. It definitely worked very effectively for you, especially when you consider that the third person that we were playing with actually wasn't able to place all of his colonies. Mm -hmm. I think he had four or five left over at the end of the game that he just hadn't placed because he got locked out of certain things. So I think, especially if we added a fourth player, Mm -hmm. you'd see that game end condition because it's either, you know, when you place all of your colonies or when no ship on the board has a legal move. So I think with four players, that end condition is something that you would see a lot more of. Yeah, and I think that you also had one colony remaining at the end. I think that's correct. I, I... was able to kind of move my ships around the board a little bit more effectively than he was, but I still wasn't able to place all of my colonies. So Yeah, but you still ended up winning, so it shows that the placement of the colonies is even more important than how many you place. That's true, and the placement of the trading posts especially. Two of my trading posts were completely surrounded, mm-hmm. uh, so I maximized points there, and that just really leveraged me into, I think, a really good final score. So very strategic, but yeah. still, still very entertaining. Yeah, for such a small and quick game, it will echo again what we said before. Very strategic, a lot of fun, highly recommended. Absolutely. Besides the board games, I know you said your D&D group had a chance to meet again. I hear there's mm-hmm. a story involving slavers <laughs> and one of your characters going like completely berserk? Yeah, so it was very interesting. So we, we were going to pretty much find these ruins. And we were told in town that these were deserted or abandoned. And we're thinking, oh, this is from the prior civilization, which had just about taken over the entire uh, country which we were in. Or many countries. It was, it's, you know, the kind of fall, fall of the ancient civilization. There's still sure, like the, some Sure, the precursor rumors. race that you see in all these fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah. Pretty much. So they made this, uh, this fort or castle ruin right now. And we went over there, and as we approach, nightfall is coming, and we see figures in the ruin. They're like, 
okay, this is not what we were expecting. So, we go to turn around, but stealth checks decide to fail us today. So as all of us are trying to turn around on our horses, and me on my mule, because I couldn't afford anything else, sure. one of the horses does like this majestic like, rearing up and like very loud neigh, which of course is seen from the castle and the fort. So. Super stealth. Number one horse. Exactly. So they come out to us, and they're pretty much posing to be the Lord's men, you know, something like that. It's pretty obvious that they aren't. We still decide to go away, you know, go back into the forest, even though I tried to convince them to let us in by uh, doing performances, but my character, as well as the other bard, both of us rolled twos. Man, just unsuccessful rolls all around. Yeah, that was just not very good. And so they pretty much laughed at us, and they are like, no. And we're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll leave now. We go back into the forest, and we're like thinking about, okay, we, need, we want to get in there somehow, but we need to figure out how. So we start looking for their scouting parties, which they'd mentioned, that would be out. So we're like, okay, maybe if we capture one of these and then like interrogate them, something like that, that might be a good way. Maybe use their uniform or something. That's clever. And we're going there. Our rogue Pip, he goes out and scouts out around the, the castle. And he decides to go all the way, like, pretty much to, uh, to the castle where he can't be seen under cover of night. And he goes off in one direction. And I'm watching the castle. I don't see him go, but I know, like, I think that we all knew that he was going. I was watching there until I heard something. It was some kind of yell of some sort. And I came back and told the rest of our party, who was, you know, getting ready for an ambush, to, you know, get ready. There might be something coming. I heard a yell from the direction that we think that Pip probably went. But then we start hearing hooves and footsteps coming from the other direction. And at this point, we're like, well, we don't want to get stuck in between these two. Right. So I decided to go out and check this out, see what was going on. So I go, and I roll a one on stealth. Man, just can't catch a break. No. And so I go up to the edge of the road, and I'm like looking out into it, and as this caravan goes through, I trip and fall on my face right in front of the three horsemen who are at the front of the whole procession. Not good. Not good at all. No, definitely not. I try to use one of my spells to create a tremor in the ground to scare them, uh, or intimidate them in some way. And, like, you know, put on a lot of bravado and all that. But as I try to bolt for the woods, of course, they have three horsemen who are a lot faster than a dragonborn on foot. Yeah. So they almost surround me. And then they start talking about how I'm now one of their other slaves or someone else that they're going to capture kind of thing. And I'm like, no, I don't want to get captured. <laughs> so I decide to, you know, try to first intimidate them. So I'm trying to say, you don't know who you're messing with. Like, my God is going to destroy you. And then they point to a guy in the back of the caravan and says, oh, funny. That's what he said, too. <laughs> and it's this guy in rags now with just like a, a pendant of Paylor. You know, I started saying, you know, oh, that's nothing compared to my God. Da, da, da. But the slaver, the head slaver was saying... Well, I'm in the mood to possibly haggle. What do you have to offer for your freedom? Interesting. So what I say is that I know of three other people who are in the woods here who 
I can lead you to. And he's like, how do you know these people? Well, my Lord told me to go into these woods, so I did. And I found them in the woods. And he believed me well enough. And I start leading him towards where my friends are waiting in ambush. Mm-hmm. Of course, they'd heard me do the tremor, so they came towards me at that, by that point. And when one of them was noticed, I just turned around and didn't inflict wounds on the main person. Was starting combat. Right, uh, yeah. I mean, at that point, at it's that kind point, of hard to avoid. Yeah, pretty much. The monk, who was the one who got noticed, he just went ahead, uh, Rowan the monk, he went and his first attack was a, a water whip attack, which pretty much decapitated one of the foot soldiers. Okay. Pretty good attack. He went all savage and crazy and like intimidating, <laughs> trying to do, doing those kinds of things to people. Our sorceress, she started using her chromatic orb to send acid orbs at people. Classic spell. Yes, and that of course started melting people and melting people's faces off. So it was pretty fun. We did <laughs> quite a bit of damage. Killed all three of the horses though, but still did quite a bit of damage. Okay. I was trying to figure out what I could do as I am pretty squishy. Okay. I'm definitely not one of those people who are armored to the teeth. I am the sneaky type, I don't want to be in the front lines normally. But I would have had to use a whole action to get away from them and then like move away. And I didn't really have that many ranged attacks either. And so I was in a tight spot. I decided to just keep on going, try to, trying to get this guy down with my most powerful spells. So I then used Bane and then another Inflict Wounds. Of course, he's not down yet. And right. then typical boss monster. Yeah, pretty much. And then I had a choice. I was down at one hit point. I could either drink a, one of my health potions or get an attack on two of the the people down uh, using my breath weapon. Mm. I went for the attack. Yeah, like you do. Before this attack, or before I decided what to do, I'd looked at our bard, who also has some healing spells. Uh, it was like pleading look of heal me please (laughs) but before it got to that he was knocked out by poison arrow (laughs) yep yep so then the next time the the boss had not been rolling very well apparently because he attacked me and missed and then he attacked me for six and then seven so i was like okay this won't be that bad next swing he gets he pretty much cuts through my jugular i'm on the ground bleeding out with 12 damage on one hit point left so i was totally out for the rest of the battle yeah our monk and our sorceress did manage to pull through and she rolled a critical hit on her acid orb i believe at the very end of it which did double damage Mm. and it melted him pretty much into the ground well there you go and so that was nice and then there were two foot soldiers who started running away and one of them reduced an opportunity attack from the monk who just severed his spine with a punch <laughs> while while the <laughs> while the other one got hit by a, a flame bolt to okay. the back and also brought him down all right pretty uh pretty good clean up there yep and then we went to try to save the slaves but as we did we hear oh there's another 12 people coming, some of them on horseback. And Time we are bail. not in the position to, uh, to fight. Yep. Nope. So that's a, that's a leave indication. Yep. So we decided to go ahead and bail, save ourselves, and hopefully meet up with our 
Rogue Pip by next time. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Missed all the excitement. <laughs> Missed all the excitement, but he was leading two people into the woods, last we know. So, we'll see. <laughs> definitely. And definitely gives us some interesting things to think about for the next game. I should say so. Well, that's a look at what we've been playing lately. Now it's time to raise a toast to our official review of The Dragon and Flagon, the game of fantasy tavern brawls. Made by Stronghold Games, another one of their really good games, I think. Let's start talking a little bit about how this game is played. It definitely is one of those refreshing games where it does exactly what it says on the box. You have up to eight players that are tossed into the middle of a pub, and it's just a free-for-all. You can punch, you can kick, you can throw mugs, you can throw chairs, you can yank rugs out from under people. Push tables. Push tables, all with the objective of having the most reputation at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. There's a very set amount of reputation in the entire game. You don't get any extra, no one adds more, no one takes any away permanently. So you're vying for the reputation that everyone has. Everyone starts with 20 reputation, and then whoever has the most at the end of the game usually takes from everyone else in order to gain those, that reputation. And it's very much a tug of war because one time you might be able to get some reputation from someone and a different time they'd steal it right back or someone else steals it and goes right back to them. And it just goes around and around in that way. Absolutely. Having a single static pool of reputation just means that you're going to be constantly punching one another, knocking each other out, fighting for you know whatever little scrap you can. And if you get too much of a lead, guess who everybody's coming for now? Exactly. And this game really allows that to be very easy to do, to get to someone else, to throw something at someone because it can go across the whole board as long as you're in the right line. And it just does a really good job of imitating that really funny tavern brawl experience that you, you would think of in a kind of D&D game in anything like that. Oh, absolutely. Controlled chaos. Barely controlled chaos. Barely controlled. And that's a very interesting point. Because of the fact that this is also a programming game. Right. What that means is that you have certain actions that you have to pre-plan. You're not reacting fully to the exact thing that's going on in front of you. You're reacting to what you think is going to be in front of you about a turn away. So you have one action that you've already placed, and that's the one that you do this round. And then you have to place another one for the next round before you even know the result of what happened in this round. Right, so it's really very much a, again, almost a chess-like sort of game where you have to think, okay, I'm going to be here in two turns after I move, so I'm going to want to use this ability to throw a mug at someone because I'm going to have picked up a mug on the previous turn and I anticipate that the mage will have stepped into my eye line. Like yeah. You really have to be thinking downstream. You can't just react purely to what you see in front of you. And a cool aspect of this game as well is that you're doing that and all based on a certain time. And each of your actions takes a certain amount of time. So the actions can be anything from walking to picking up a mug to you know, stabbing someone in the back. And each of these will take a, a different amount of time, usually between uh, one and three. And you will not be able to do another action until you get to that point in time. And that's how the turns go. It all goes based on how many people are in each space for timing purposes. So if you use an action that does, takes one time, you move your marker up by one person. And then when the hourglass moves up to that spot, that is when you get to go again. 
Right. So you see a lot of the stronger actions like push table or uh, swing, where if you're mm-hmm. standing on a table, you can go in a straight line, knocking over and dealing damage to everyone along the way. Yeah. A lot of those really powerful actions, they have very long cooldown times. So you're not getting to act as frequently, but if you can set it up right, you're getting big bucks on your turn. Exactly. So it's kind of striking the balance between, okay, am I going to be nuanced and give myself some space to react by taking small actions or am i just going to go for broke and Mm -hmm. do the big stuff exactly there's also the actual flagon of dragon's ale which is what ostensibly everyone is fighting over right but it's really i mean just a means to an end because the flagon itself doesn't convey any reputation because you know like we said at the beginning you can't ever take reputation from outside the game so Mm -hmm. if you pick it up The only thing it allows you to do, I mean, you can throw it like a regular mug, but Mm -hmm. really the primary reason to pick it up is because every character has one special skill called their dragon skill. Yes. Um, It has a red border around the card, and you can't use it until you pick up the flagon. Mm -hmm. And after you've picked up the flagon, you can only use it once. Yes. So these are really hard to get access to, but... Accordingly, they're also extremely strong. I know you played the Druid in a couple of games, and that one allowed you to skip the programming aspect and instead just place an action at the start of your turn. Mm -hmm. So you really do actually get to respond in real time. The Clerics, you get to tithe everyone in a massive radius around yourself. You get to take from people who have more than 20 or give to people who have less than 12. But as long as you're careful about your targets... You can, I think there was one time I got like 15 reputation on a single turn from using that ability. So these Mm -hmm. are really game-changing abilities, which means that the flagon, located right in the center of the pub, is going to be a major source of contention and chaos throughout the game. Exactly. But let's talk a little bit about the actions that you can do. First, the most basic, facing really matters in this game as well. So you can only move in the direction that you are facing. And then after your movement or any other action is when you can change your facing. So the movement is, I believe, up to two squares away from you in a forward direction or to the side and forward. When you do that, you get to just move. It takes two time and uh, you go from point A to point B. You also have attacks. Attacks are usually the slash action, which just hits the three spaces in front of you. If you have anyone in front of you, hopefully you played your slash action and can take the reputation from them. Right. Another interesting action is the boast action. And now this one is very interesting because it's both positive and negative in a way. So it's your character boasting about how great they are. So whenever they do take reputation from someone else, they get an extra two. But if anyone does manage to get reputation from that player while the boast is still active, then they lose an extra reputation. Right. It's something that you have to be very careful with because, you know, just like in a real tavern brawl, I imagine, I've never been in a real tavern brawl, but I imagine if you were to boast and then get knocked flat on your ass, people are going to laugh at you just a little bit harder. You're going to lose a little bit more reputation. Exactly. And that's the base of this game, how that works. You also have a few other ones, things like Repose, which actually prevents damage from people who are using weapons against you and actually takes reputation from them instead of you having to give them. So it's a really nice action when you know that you're surrounded by a few people who are about to attack you, especially, let's say, the case that you were talking about earlier where you are the leader 
and you know that you have people that are gunning for you and are going to use some kind of attack on you, boom, repost, and do that for a certain number of turns, and you are pretty much safe from any weapon attacks from the front. Right. It does not cover you in the back. Again, facing, very important. Exactly. Another thing that I will add is that many of these effects can last for multiple turns. So like the boast, it can last up to, I believe, seven turns. So you put a marker on where your boast ends, and at the time when the hourglass token or the time token gets to that turn, you remove that marker and you are no longer boasting, so you no longer have that effect. There are other effects that are similar to that as well, especially your special attacks. Right, and so that's one of the areas of customization, I suppose, in the game. So you Mm -hmm. have nine different characters, only eight of whom at maximum will ever be in the game at a time. But they're kind of your standard classes. You know, you've got the druid, the paladin, rogue, but there's also like a little bit of a different type of character. You've got the swashbuckler, Mm -hmm. you've got some some more piratey themed characters, because let's face it, those are the type of characters that are going to be in a tavern. But each of those characters has a deck, and that deck is composed of about 60% the same cards. So everybody's got to move, everybody's got to repost, everybody's got to slash. But then you also have a handful of cards that are specific to your character. So the monk is going to have something called inner vision, Mm -hmm. or the cleric is going to have an ability called holy smite, you know, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. And so those allow you to sort of customize your character and do things that are uniquely powerful, but also not so overpowered that you're going to be definitely the winner if you select this class or no one's going to be feeling like oh man i chose the wrong class there's no way i'm going to win this game it's it's balanced but in a way that still reflects a lot of difference in play styles and that's something that i really appreciate yeah it's definitely very much an asymmetrical game you don't all start with the same thing and the balance is really nice it really helps that each of the characters has a different ability and are able to do different things and have very different play styles. So the rogue is always just trying to get in behind someone because if they backstab someone, they get a lot more than if they're in front of them. So they have abilities that link to each other and you have to try to use them correctly. But at the same time, the programming aspect comes in that it's not automatic and you, you have to know that people are, are going to be able to anticipate stuff and actually do things in between that might ruin your plan. Right, right. There's a lot of interruptibility i suppose Mm -hmm. especially if you telegraph something super hard so for example we mentioned the rogue the rogue likes to backstab people if you as the rogue use your move action to get behind someone you better hope that you get to go again before they do because otherwise they're just going to turn around Mm -hmm. and then you know you don't you know you still get to deal damage to them but it's two instead of five reputation that you get to steal so you really want to avoid telegraphing your strategy too hard but at the same time you got to play to your strengths so -hmm. it's striking that balance that really leads to a successful play another really interesting aspect is actually how the dazed function works in the game So when you're able to daze someone through one of your attacks, they have to program for one move ahead or two moves ahead of what they were already planned. So this is a really interesting way of doing it, and I think it really makes sense because of the fact that if you think about it, you're dazed, you don't really know what's going on, so you have to just plan blindly almost what you want to do. 
So in that case, you have to you know try to put down a card that maybe could be used in multiple ways, or has a very large radius, or hit, or something like that, that could really be used in any of these ways so you're not wasting a card. And I really like that just because it can mess with people, it can really make you see how the programming actually works and how it can be used to your benefit and as well as your detriment. It's certainly a well-designed mechanic, and I also appreciate that they didn't just say X character loses their next action, mm -hmm. because that would just be frustrating. Whereas yeah. this way, forcing someone to plan even further ahead than they already have to is a challenge, certainly, but it also still functions within the context of the game while allowing them to potentially have good plays. You know, they mm -hmm. don't feel like they've been completely locked out, or yeah. if they get chain-dazed. You know, they don't feel like they just have no opportunity to get back into the game. So I appreciate that they they designed it in such a way that it doesn't feel too predatory. Exactly. Um, but Daze isn't the only status effect. You can knock people down. Mm -hmm. There are certain actions that you can only take if you're standing up. Swing, which yes. I mentioned previously. Obviously, you can only swing off a table if you're standing up. And, again, you have to be on top of a table, which gives us a really good opportunity to talk about the pieces yes. in this game. They are predominantly cardboard. There's some plastic stands, mm -hmm. but they are... And there are... are the wooden pieces. That's right. There are the, the wooden barrels, which you can kick, chairs, which you can throw, and mugs, which you can also throw. But the cardboard pieces that represent the tables are really nice in that they fold, so they actually become three-dimensional. Yes. And when you move into a space with a table, you put your character on top of that table. So there's this three-dimensionality Without being, you know, obviously they could have done this in such a way that it's 3D molded and printed, and yeah. I'm sure the cost would have gone up as well, yeah. but it's still very elegant, the pieces look great, yeah. and it's, it's really well designed. I agree. I think that the pieces are really nice. I love the look of the, especially the wooden chairs, actually. The tables and the chairs are my two like, favorite pieces, I think, in this, because tables have like that little cross beam underneath, which holds them together. It's really clever design. And the chairs, like, they actually made them look like chairs, which is cool. It's not just, like, a block or anything like that. So, definitely very nice pieces. I would agree. All right. Time for a final verdict. Jacob, what do you say? I'm going to give this game a buy it. Because right. I really enjoy it. I don't think I've ever seen a game that's similar to this. Uh, there is not really another brawling game that I have seen that does this approximation nearly as well as uh, The Dragon and Flying. I think that's a fair assessment. I'm personally probably going to give it a play it. I think it's a great game. I think it's well balanced. I think it's always fun for a group of people. But I think I avoid giving it the buy it simply because if you don't have a party type atmosphere, I think the attitude of the game suffers a little bit. So, yeah. you know, if you're just looking to play, all right, I want to play a game with some friends at my house for a board game night you can go in other directions, whereas this is much more of a, hey, let's have a shindig and have some chaos. Maybe, you know, knock back some of our own dragon ale. Exactly, exactly. I could see this being a very interesting drinking game for oh, those for sure. who are of age. We'll have to we'll have to play it that way sometime. <laughs> yep. See if our judgment gets better or worse as we get progressively more drunk. <laughs> That'll be very interesting for sure. Well, thank you very much for joining us for our review of The Dragon and Fire. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dragon's Demise. Be sure to check out our interview with Dave Chalker out now and be on the lookout for more coverage from Washington in the coming weeks. 
Tune in next time for our review of Scythe.